Hi, this is Dr. Tom Rogers at Performance Medicine. On Tuesday afternoon, you're my last patient of the day. Every Tuesday at 5 to 5.30, somewhere in there, we take um, five patient questions that uh, you all send in through the week. And um, so I've got actually six today. We've had a good response to this program, and uh, hopefully it'll answer a lot of questions that people have uh, on things that we do. Um, so we'll we'll get right to the the first question if we can put that on the screen. All right, I have read that taking high blood pressure medicine, valsartan, which is an ARB angiotensin receptor blocker, helps with COVID. What is your opinion? What do you think about taking metoprolol? Um, yeah, there's been a lot of evidence that. Um, you know, the ARBs, which Valsartan is one, uh, does help protect somewhat against COVID. There's a lot of things that may be protective, like maybe having type O positive blood is probably very protective. Um, but, um, you know, the, the weird thing about this COVID virus is that it enters through an ACE2 receptor uh, in your lungs, and that's that's been really really interesting in how this thing gets in your system. So I'm all for it. The other thing, too, is if you have high, high blood pressure, um, it's a major risk factor for COVID. So, um, you know, you want to make sure that your blood pressure is controlled. And my favorite class of medication for blood pressure is the ARBs, the ARB, like Losartan, Valsartan, Telmosartan, Ibisartan. Um, so... I think they probably are a little bit protective. And, and you need to make sure your sugars are under control, too, especially if you're a diabetic, because you just do bad if your blood pressures are out of control or your sugars are out of control if you get sick with this. So um, think about uh, looking at that. Now, as far as metoprolol, metoprolol is a beta blocker. You know, there's no evidence. I don't think that it really helps COVID, but not that I've seen. But um, certainly if it helps control your blood pressure, if you're taking, you definitely shouldn't stop taking your blood pressure medicine. When COVID first came out, they said you should stop taking your ACE inhibitors like lisinopril, which is probably the most common blood pressure medicine out there because it's cheap. But uh, then they later recanted that and uh, there was no real harm from taking that. So I, I do like Valsartan in, in that group. So you know, stay on that for sure. Make sure your blood pressure control. Metoprolol, the beta blocker, you know, I usually use that one if there's maybe heart disease present or you have arrhythmias, tachycardia, but there's a lot more side effects with a beta blocker than an R for sure. So great question. So, um, yeah, Valsartan's a good blood pressure medicine. Um, next question. Um, Question two, would phenamine be okay to take if you have restless leg syndrome? Um, yeah, I think so. You know, if you needed a short-term uh, appetite suppressant, I think that, that'd be fine. You, you really shouldn't take phentermine if you have uncontrolled hypertension or um, if you have coronary artery disease. You should not take phentermine. It's a stimulant. Um, and again, phentermine is good for short-term appetite suppressant. We use a lot of it to get people jump-started. Um, also a really rare side effect from a stimulant like phenamine would be a tick, um, you know, like a facial tick where you start blinking your eye or something. If you have that, that's rare as hen's teeth. 
you should stop taking it let the doctor know um that's rare and you know as far as i've just never seen it be a problem with people with restless leg syndrome um there's a lot of different medications for restless legs so you might want to watch out for that i mean some people even go as far as using um really you know like narcotic medications for restless leg syndrome because it can get quite painful um so uh or gabby penton or you know there's a lot of different treatments for it um so maybe we'll do another segment someday on restless leg syndrome um it's an interesting thing it's probably underdiagnosed too uh, rls is what they call it um but anyway so probably short term you know monitor it i think it'd be fine um next question Three, is Botox safe? I feel weird about injecting something foreign in my face. Uh, yeah, Botox is very safe. It's the most studied um, drug in the history of drugs, as far as I know. Um, you know, you could get a small bruise with it. Um, if you don't know where to inject it, you could get some uh, some drooping to your eyebrow. Or, or, you know, you could get some... Uh, weird-looking Spock eyebrows and things if you don't know what you're doing, but you got to know your anatomy when you inject Botox. But it's safe. You know, the, the people that don't want to take Botox are people that have um, weird diseases like muscular dystrophy, ALS, and uh, so some of those stranger neurologic conditions. But um, they also use it for, of course, migraine headaches, spasticity of necks, torticollis, that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, Botox is very, very safe. And, yeah, we even do it in a lot of younger people now, uh, you know, in their mid to late 20s that are getting wrinkly and, and on. There's a lot of other uses for Botox, like, you know, using it for dry dryness if you have hyperhidrosis you sweat too much it works for that um, it works for some urologic conditions so it, botox is a very studied and safe drug so yes botox is safe uh, question four how do you treat adrenal fatigue how do you know you have adrenal fatigue that's a great question you know adrenal fat your adrenals put out different hormones um one class of hormones they put out are called mineral corticoids, like aldosterone, which has a lot to do with blood pressure and also uh, salt and potassium balance in your system. Um, but adrenal fatigue comes about more from the other, and also it puts out epinephrine, you know, adrenaline. But the other part of your adrenal cortex puts out cortisol, the stress hormone. So... And that's the one we usually talk about when we're talking about adrenal fatigue. Um, it's good to have cortisol, you know, at times when you need it, when you're real stressed out to get you out of a bad situation. I mean, it can ramp up real quickly, just like adrenaline can, um, which is great if you need it short term. But chronic elevations of your cortisol levels are really bad for aging. They're bad for your system. Um, and so they can get too high or too low. And um, so you can check a blood test for cortisol, but the best test to do it is a four-point salivary cortisol test where you spit into this little tube 
four times during the day, 8, 12, 5, and 10, and to see what it does during the day because cortisol should be higher in the morning, lower at night. It's what gets you up in the morning, and when it's low, you're able to sleep. If it's hyped up at night, you're not going to sleep very well. So I do like to check the four-point salivary adrenal test. Um, a lot of times if it's too high, I'll use, so how do you treat it? If it's too high, I'll use adrenal adaptogens like rhodiola, L-theanine, ginseng, uh, relora. Um, and, if it's, and if you've gone on for too long, you get what I, some people call adrenal burnout or extreme adrenal fatigue, then your cor- you'll have a flat cortisol curve where all your levels are low, and then you really have a hard time. You're just chronically fatigued. You can't figure it out. Um, so if I get a low cortisol level on a blood test, I'll immediately do the four-point. If you're low the whole day, then you treat it differently. Um, sometimes the, the adrenal balance adaptogens help. Um like the same ones I mentioned before, but a lot of times you'll have to use Cortef, which is hydrocortisone, and that will really perk somebody up. I don't have to do this too frequently, but um, I have several patients that take Cortef and do great on it. So if you're chronically fatigued, if you're one of those real stressed out persons through your whole life, you get to middle age or a little later, you can't figure out why you can't have any energy, check your adrenals. And a one blood test is really not going to tell you enough about that unless you have Cushing's disease where your cortisol is really high or if you have Addison's disease where it's really low. But those are pretty rare. Um, but anyway, great question. We treat a lot of adrenal fatigue in our office. Uh, that's one thing we think we do a good job of. Question five. When is the best time to start bioidentical hormone replacement for a woman? Well, um, I usually start looking at your hormone levels in your 40s sometimes, definitely by 45 or sooner if you, you're 40 and you start having symptoms like your periods start spacing out, you lose your sex drive, you gain belly fat, uh, you can't sleep at night if you're really irritable, um, if you're starting, of course, starting to get hot flashes, night sweats. Um, the thing about um, women is women are more complex when it's, comes to hormones because they have four hormones to deal with and they cycle they they, they're high and low at different points of the month so the the timing of the when you get the blood test or salivary test is important i like to check if you have a 28 day cycle somewhere between days 19 and 23 it's i can tell more about it from that aspect and because when you get in your 40s they don't drop off at the same rate men are simple creatures we have testosterone it just kind of slowly starts lowering over the years but women they kind of pulse to an end of their um the uh, premenopausal stage and it can take years for that to happen so the first thing that drops off is probably your testosterone which women need just like men need just a lot less dosage of it and then the next thing is progesterone very important female hormone uh, very misunderstood hormone maybe the most important female hormone Um, it's responsible for relaxing you helping you sleep helping you keep weight off the last thing to drop off in a woman is your estrogens of which you have several different types of estrogen and when that drops off then's when you get the full-fledged 
night sweats, hot flashes, and then eventually you won't have any periods in your full-blown menopause. So I like to treat early. All the evidence shows that the earlier we treat these premenopausal symptoms, the better you're going to do later in life as far as um, saving your bones, your muscles, your brain function, all that stuff. Uh, so I would start getting a baseline at 40. Sooner if you have problems like low libido, I see a lot of women in their mid to late 30s that have really low testosterone and you put them on a little testosterone cream or a pellet and they everything changes for the better they get more energy they think better um, their libido goes up they're happier they gain muscle and lose belly fat so i would say on average about 40 years old sooner if you have problems so great question great question um, very complex very misunderstood um I have one extra question that one of my patients left me in the office today that's I want to put on here. So we actually have six questions today. Um, hi, Dr. Rogers. Please expound on grains from your topic, is wheat bad for you? If you saw one of my dictations on that, um, you know, wheat, I said, was can be bad for you. Usually it's bad for you. And so if you've ever read the book Grain, Brain, or Wheat Belly by two prominent doctors, one's a cardiologist, the other one's a a neurologist, you can kind of read the expanded reasonings and research behind why they're bad for you. So, and you know, of course, wheat grain's the worst one for you probably because it has glutens in it. Glutens are very inflammatory. Probably 75% of the U.S. population is gluten sensitive. You don't have to have celiac disease to have a gluten problem. Probably 1% of us have celiac disease, and that's a severe disease where if you get any glutens, you immediately start having digestive problems and weight loss and sickness, and it's a really bad colon problem, really. Um, but the gluten sensitivity can be a lot more subtle and you won't realize that you're tired or sick because you're allergic to glutens or sensitive to glutens, um, which I know I am. And I'm also very lactose intolerant too, which at least over half of us are lactose intolerant. That's why dairy is not the great thing that most people think it is for you. Um, but the second part, so wheat is very inflammatory. It's not the same wheat. It's Most of it's been genetically modified over the years. You know, the wheat is not the same wheat as when I grew up, so it's definitely worse for you, and mostly because of glutens and also carbs. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, so they go on and say, what about sprouted grains like Ezekiel products, oatmeal, brown rice, quinoa, whole organic grains, buckwheat, farro. Um, you know, I'm not saying that all those are bad because some of those, a lot, most of all those have good fiber. Most of them are gluten-free. Most of your Ezekiel products are, really are not gluten-free. I've had a hard time finding a, a gluten-free Ezekiel product. Correct me if I'm wrong or bring it in the office, but... Um, Definitely, it's a sprouted type of bread, and it's a lot more healthier than most breads. But, um, you know, you know, oatmeal can be good if it's, you know, rolled oatmeal that's um, still cut. Brown rice is certainly better than white rice. Quinoa, 
has a lot more protein in it than rice does. For some that aspect, it's good. Um, buckwheat is a misnomer because there's no real wheat in that, and it's gluten-free, so buckwheat's not a bad product. Um, so I'm not totally against these because they have good, certain good things in them, but they also can have anti-nutrients in them like uh, phytic acids and lectins, which are you know, plant proteins that can be very damaging or inflammatory to your GI system. Um, but those can be downgraded by soaking them and sprouting and certainly fermenting these products, which is a lot better for you. I love fermented products like sauerkraut. Uh, you can make your own pro probiotics by doing this. Um, so I won't say they're totally bad blanket bad for you. They have a lot of good things too. They're certainly not as bad as wheat, rye, or barley. But um, uh, the thing about it is everybody's different. You have to look at what your concerns are. Certainly, uh, their grains aren't essential. I mean, they're not essential, meaning you can live without grains. And as long as your digestive system's working good, you don't need them. Um, but, you know, a lot of people do need them just for those, you know, they're just from a normal bowel function. Um, so I won't say they're blanket bad, but... And the, re the one reason I say a lot of this is because most of my patients are battling weight problems. And remember, grains are carbohydrates. And carbohydrates are the main reason people get obese, point blank, is carbohydrates. So, you know, you can live with zero carbohydrates. Probably shouldn't, but you can. You won't die. The other two macronutrients, which are um, protein and fats, You've got to have those or you'll die. So you can't live without those. Those are essential. But, but carbs, you can live with, you can have zero carbs. And certainly if you're battling your weight or you're having a leaky gut or digestive problems, you need to look at what type of carbohydrates you're eating. Uh, so I don't like wheat. I don't think you need a diet full of grains. Now, the Mediterranean diet is a grain-based diet, and it can be heart protective, but um, there's, there's, I think, better ways. I think you can get all your metabolic parameters down better, like cholesterol and sugar levels, A1C, et cetera, insulin sensitivity, by cutting down your carbs and eating more good fats and a moderate dose of, of protein. So I hope that kind of answered that question. But, you know, a lot of things that we think are really good for us, soy is another one that I'm not going to talk about now, but it's another kind of controversial nutrient that can be good and bad i'm not huge on soy products but in any event i hope that helps you with that but remember everybody's different everybody's digestive system's different they have different food sensitivities you have to kind of figure out what works for you and if you're nice and lean and your gut's working good and you have a lot of energy then you're doing pretty good don't change a thing but if you're having problem or struggling then you need to kind of look at the first thing is what you're eating. Remember, 70% of your immune system is located in your gut. So um, think about your gut health. And uh, But great question. I'm glad you brought that into the office today. But anyway, this is um, Dr. Tom Rogers at Performance Medicine at 5 at 5. Write your questions in or drop them by the office like you did today. Um, go to Performance Medicine Audio. Stay educated. Stay healthy. Um, last patient that I saw today that was not on my mailing list, all you need to do is give us your email and you'll get all the, 
the free links to my doctor's note and all that. You just push subscription and you'll subscribe to all our YouTube, all the Instagram, all the, the doctor's notes that come out on Monday. This, this was a diabetic patient that if you saw my doctor's note from yesterday on how to cure type 2 diabetes, I thought it was a pretty good discussion on how you can completely reverse type 2 diabetes without medications. Now, sometimes their medications are necessary, but just listen to my little podcast and my look at my doctor's note on reversing uh, diabetes from yesterday, from Monday's note. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, we'll certainly be back um, next Tuesday night. And uh, go to our uh, all our channels that we broadcast on, and hopefully uh, you'll, you'll learn and you'll be healthier. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, We will see you guys next time.